All right, folks, Splash Play is back. We continue our rewatch of Playmakers, Episode 2, The Piss Man. And also, we have some Julio Jones trade rumors, Spags. It's important to keep the balance here on the show in the offseason. So we have some NFL news. Thank for, thankfully for the Falcons and Julio Jones, I guess, for providing that for us. But Playmakers is going to take a lot of time on this one. The Piss Man going to dig deep into both uh, your urethra and everything else. So let's get to the intro and get to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Splash Play, the fantasy football podcast for every game under the sun. And in the offseason, that means a little bit of everything related to football. But I am Chris Spaggs, joined once again by the man who is behind this YouTube channel you're watching on. If you are watching on Peach Channel, as well as a lot of other great things as well. He's Peter Overzet. How are you doing, Pete? I'm doing good, man. I, I saved my uh, episode rewatch of Playmakers for just a couple of hours ago, and uh, I'm I'm very excited because this episode was even somehow more ridiculous than the first one. And uh, yeah, we also can talk some uh, some Julio Jones trade rumors as well, since we are theoretically an NFL fantasy football show. Yeah, it's sometimes people may forget that. I have to say one quick note. I'm still not sick of our intro theme. Like I, I've done a lot of clipping during the beginning part of the season where we had a lot more going on and just trying to get the word out there. And I've heard it so many times, but like honestly, still hearing it now, I'm like, oh, this is like nice. I feel like I'm in a good mood. Well, you know what I think helps with it? You know how like if you're watching a show on Netflix and you get like the skip intro button, the mm -hmm. intros I skip are the ones that go on for way too long. And our intro like really gets in and gets out before you could get sick of it. It's a good point. That's really uh, probably some helpful life lessons to take away from the intro there. But uh, helpful life lesson for all of you guys out there. Follow at Splash Play Pod. We are following back everybody on there on Twitter and Instagram because that's how we like to treat our audience out there, the guys who are helping support us and gals, of course. So go follow at Splash Play Pod now. Make sure you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or either or, I guess. But Apple Podcasts in particular, help us out. Give us five stars and a review on there. We are putting these out on podcast form the next day. So the YouTube video has a little bit more time to pick up views and get some life going but go check us out on apple podcasts and spotify and give us those five stars and a review pete you did a great job on the in the matthew berry newsletter today breaking down the julio jones situation so i'm just going to shamelessly steal your work there you pointed out that uh, it looks like with the, uh, the situation a i guess first of all for people catching up julio jones rumored to be traded from the falcons because of uh, cap considerations as well as the fact that they are viewed themselves as more of a rebuild mode even though they did draft kyle pitts people think they're trying to win now i guess they're going the other way coaches maybe have some concerns about Julio's injuries missing meeting time in addition to uh, whatever practice time as well and Pete I guess I'll give you the floor here because you did a lot of research on this it seemed um Julio Jones what's your first blush on what's going on with this yeah it, it was weird because I was reading a few of the Atlanta beat reporters takes on it and it was like they are in um kind of a cap uh, hell space right now uh, because they need to sign all their rookies and they don't have money for it. I guess they have a couple options, some like restructuring type stuff. It doesn't sound like Julio is probably going to want to restructure. So they're kind of just in this weird spot right now. And then because of his age, because of his contract, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of teams that would want to take him on and just realistically can't take him on because of the cap space consideration. So I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where it sounds like they're fully ready to move on, but it's also like, 
who is actually going to pony up. I mean, that's the thing with these contracts. Like you have to give something of value to the Falcons and on top of that, pay him all this money at age 32 when he played uh, not that much last year. So it seems like a pretty weird spot. So is it one of those things? And I think this is kind of, I feel like this happens more in baseball. You see where like the contract's so bad and then the team's willing to pay part of the contract just to get the guy off their, their payroll for the entire freight of it all. Like, it seems odd to me because Julio, I know, you know, had kind of a down year last year. Calvin Ridley had the ascendance as I guess did Russell Gage um, was kind of doing a good job for them as well. Uh, but Julio still like, I think has a lot to offer these teams. And I feel like the salary being onerous, I get that. But is this one of those spots where like, maybe you don't even have to give up that much to get Julio. You just have to be you know, willing slash able to take on whatever salary he's going to have left. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that is ultimately what it's going to be. Um, and if the Falcons are kind of in rebuild mode, which I, I mentioned in the newsletter, it's so weird. Like I, I was a part of the camp of like, oh, you draft Kyle Pitts, you're going all in on this offense. See if you can make a push here with a really good offense. I mean, if you truly are rebuilding and ready to ship Julio, like why aren't you taking Justin Fields or your favorite quarterback that's available there? That just seems wild to me, um, just from an organizational like forecasting standpoint. But yeah. uh, it is what it is. And I think the thing for fantasy, it's like, you can't do much better than the Falcons for fantasy because they're a pass first offense. They don't have a running game. They play in the dome. They play in that division where there's a ton of shootouts. It's hard for me to envision spots where Julio could really have a better situation than he does right now. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, maybe there are spots where he gets more of a concentrated target share, which I think is something that could see Julio maybe take a rise up some of the early best ball drafts and all that out there. People doing whatever early season long drafts as well. Um, but I do think, you know, for me, I'm surprised by the move. I think too, the guys as much of a, of a mainstay, uh, an icon in Atlanta as is Matt Ryan. And I feel like if I agree, like, why wouldn't you have traded Matt Ryan then and gotten whatever, like, Matthew Stafford was getting high draft capital. All these guys were getting some draft capital thrown their way. I'm sure they could have gotten a first round or at least for Matt Ryan. Like it just, it doesn't make the most sense to me with what they're doing right now. And um, I guess, you know, the new regime doesn't have to hold Julio in that esteem, but I think there's some life left in those bones. And I guess these are the teams, Pete, that you had uh, compiled that could potentially pull it off without doing anything weird with their contracts right now. But the Jaguars, I guess let's go one by one. Jaguars, does that seem like a viable option? It would be viable to me because it'd be hilarious to see another wide receiver there to take snaps away from LaVisca Chenault. No, uh, I won't even indulge this. And no, they're they're not in the business of adding uh, any big contracts like that. They're still probably a year or two away from being competitive. And they also have a good wide receiver crew there. So uh, that's not going to happen. We also have the Jets. The Jets are one that I could sort of see because it does seem um, like they're going to try to win now. I mean, they're bringing in uh, some big names. Guys like Corey Davis are relatively big names. It's Heaven Coleman. I know you also mentioned the newsletter today. I don't mean to keep leaning on the newsletter, but Pete did a good job in the newsletter today. I was really impressed <laughs> what he did. So make sure you're signing up for that Fantasy Life newsletter for yourselves out there. Um, but the Jets, I feel like they're going to try to win. And if you get a guy like Julio in, I think that's another culture move for them. They clearly have guys at wide receiver already. I know your boy Denzel Mims, you would like to see not have Julio coming in and taking some routes away. But if you want to build the culture the right way, I think getting Julio in wouldn't be the worst idea. Yeah, that one I, I could definitely see. I get I I it does seem like Corey Davis was their kind of big, you know, marquee signing. It sounds like Jamison Crowder, something could go down with him, but they also drafted Elijah Moore theoretically to take Crowder's spot and then Mim still on the outside. So it doesn't seem like most perfect fit. And again, the jets don't seem like one of those teams that are just one piece away where you can justify the big cap hit to kind of go all in on it. So they don't really check all those boxes for me.
Bengals, I would say kind of the same thing. They're a little too young. I guess kind of a combination of both. They're a little too young in their development. They have enough guys in the building there where you just spent high draft capital on a wide receiver. Unless you're like, you know, trading T. Higgins straight up for Julio, which would be a wild trade. I think that's more of like an NBA move than it would be an NFL one. But I don't see how the Bengals would work here unless they got rid of one of their younger guys. Yeah, they already have, I think, uh, the second, maybe the first uh, best wide receiver trio in the NFL. So they're good. Broncos Broncos seem viable to do these kind of things though again to me like they have enough guys you have still have Jerry Judy there you have Cortland Sutton coming back should be improved and hopefully healthier this year or able to stay on the field and stay healthy uh, but the Broncos to me like I think to them them being in the hunt for Aaron Rodgers they get a lot more for Julio I just don't see how that would necessarily work unless that's part of like hey Rodgers saying go out and get Julio too and, and maybe that's the way it could happen. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem likely. I mean, they've spent a lot of draft capital on wide receivers. They're they're very happy with Cortland Sutton. Then they draft Jerry Judy last year. They like what they've seen from KJ Hamler. They have Noah Fant, who's one of the better young tight ends in the league. So I can't see them allocating this money, uh, especially, I don't actually know the mechanics of how the Rodgers thing would work, but I assume a lot of that cap space would have to go to Rodgers in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, again, this, to me, this with the way the NFL is going right now, and with Deshaun Watson's case, too, obviously that's gotten a, a bit different now with some of the stuff going on around him. But it feels like the NFL is kind of trending more towards the NBA, and I, and I feel like maybe the CBA and the salary cap rules and all of that don't make it quite as easy to accomplish this stuff. But like if Aaron Rodgers were an NBA player, like he would force his way to whatever team he wants and then be like, yeah, let's bring along this guy. Like That's basically what the Nets did with DeAndre Jordan. The free agency is a little different. I, I feel like maybe there's some way to make it happen, but it just would be like fairly impressive. I think like you're saying um, next team that you had here, the Browns, another team. I don't get how this would work unless you're giving up one of Odell or Jarvis Landry in the process. And why would you do that? Uh, I feel like if anything, I could see them making a move for a QB. That would be an upgrade. And I think they didn't do that in the offseason already so far. So that seems unlikely to me at this point, but Browns, another team. I just don't see how this would work. Yeah, I don't see it either. And they, they just want to be so run focused too, that I don't think they're going to, uh, you know, dish out a significant amount of their cap to kind of a, a luxury item wide receiver. Yeah, I would agree. I, I mean, like, it's definitely not a priority for them. They do seem like they are very much in win now mode. So maybe there's something silly they do there in a way that they don't need, but uh, not the most likely. Colts are an interesting one because uh, T.Y. Hilton's been talking a little bit more. Of the He's been excited about the return of the deep ball that Carson Wentz is going to be throwing. We'll see how effective those deep balls are, but it will be in the mix a little bit more. Colts very much also a win now team. And if they have the cap room to pull it off, they seem like a team who would go out of their way to do it. Yeah, I in the fantasy section, I mentioned the Chargers who will talk about in a second as like the best fit for fantasy for Julio. But logically, I feel like the Colts make the most sense in that they have a good offensive line. They have a good running game. Their defense is solid. Like I think they will be a well-balanced team that could make the playoffs and they don't have a ton of weapons with T.Y. Hilton fading. I think Michael Pittman is exciting, but their tight end situation is a little murky. So they could clearly use another playmaker there. And I I think it also falls into that like, okay, Carson Wentz isn't a top 10 quarterback, but he is the kind of quarterback where if you just surround him with a really good offensive line and a ton of weapons, I think he could be completely serviceable. So I think the Colts makes the most sense of all these teams to me. 
I think that's a really good point you make there too, where they are sort of dummy proofing the situation as much as possible for Carson. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to get him to succeed, like I agree, like I think they're doing everything. They did it with Philip Rivers. They're going to do it with Wentz too. And if you get one more big weapon in there, it certainly makes it easier. A guy who can get contested catches for Carson and hopefully bail him out of a few picks. Chargers, an interesting one too. I feel like they're a little bit earlier in their development cycle than you'd want to see, you know, for a team to be getting Julio. And I'm also, you know, having Keenan Allen still there does seem like a pretty big drain overall. But I, I agree from a fantasy perspective, just, you know, a more upside a team too that probably didn't give up a good amount of points defensively still uh too as well uh charters a logical move to me but i think one that i i would put as one of the lower likelihoods yeah probably lower likelihood i just think if you get him you know they've kind of tried to cycle through the guys on the outside you know mike williams still shows flashes but he's really just kind of a deep ball specialist jalen guyton kind of the speedsters they haven't really ever had that locked in loaded number two alongside keenan and so i think julio would be like the Julio version to Keenan's Calvin Ridley. And I think they could complement each other uh, pretty well in that regard. And then just being tethered to Justin Herbert in an offense that would pass at, I would assume a similar clip to the Falcons, I think would at least be a lateral move fantasy wise for him. And I don't think it would actually hurt him that much. Uh, a brief pop quiz. Remember who the Chargers new head coaches? <laughs> God, I'm so bad at this stuff. <laughs> it's it honestly, I, I really like was on the tip of my tongue, so I had to look it up, but I'll give you five seconds here. And I, I will say it's a younger white guy. It's not the anonymous, uh, like light skinned black head coach from the Texans who they're taking. That's I, we I, also will not remember the name of. I literally don't know. I have no idea who their coach is. Brandon Staley, who is uh, the 17th head coach in Chargers history. Um, he's grades out as a younger coach. I forget. I honestly don't remember where he's coming from either. This is, this is one of those spots. Like clearly I'm not there in my research yet, but I don't remember why he got picked, but I feel like I remember the Texans coach, David Cullen being the one where I was like, ah, this one makes no sense. I don't know why they hired this guy at all. Yeah, I still, you know what? I love fantasy football. I love the NFL. I love this player movement. I just can't become a guy that's interested in coaches. I, I, I don't even know if I've tried, but it just, I can't spags. I, I, it doesn't do anything for me. He has been, oh, he's a defensive guy. That's why I started with the Bears under Vic Fangio. Actually was hired by the Bears in 2017, and now he's a head coach. That's, there you go. that's a quick ascension. That is something else. All right, well, good, good for Brandon Staley. Um, let's talk about the other teams here on this list, and uh, chat's already ahead of, of one of us here talking about the Patriots. Let's just jump to the Patriots. I think the Patriots, to me, based on what we saw in the offseason, uh, Drico out saying the same thing, makes the most sense to the young QB and tough wide receiver crew. I agree with also how they approach tight end. Like if they knew Julio would be available, I guess maybe they are always reluctant to give out draft capital, but like Julio is a much better version of whatever you're going to get out of Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. I think Aguilar's actually been uh, pretty good overall, but um, like I, I think to me, or, you know, last year for Aguilar in particular, but I think Julio being in there, like that is a big change where if you're going all in on cam or Mac Jones, like another thing, giving them all the weapons they could have in a system that should take advantage of it. I would love that move if I were a Patriots fan. Yeah, I think as a fit, it makes uh, a lot of sense. Just they need that alpha wide receiver. I mean, no matter what you think of Nelson Aguilar or Jacoby Myers, like none of those guys are, are alpha wide receivers who are commanding double coverage and changing defenses. So that makes sense. I think from a fantasy perspective, it would be a downgrade because I feel like the Patriots are kind of telling us what they want to be this year with all the tight ends stuff. Like they want to run the ball, lots of play action, lots of two tight end sets. I think they're going to be one of the slower teams in the league as far as um, their pace, not going to find themselves in a ton of shootouts. So I would not love it for fantasy, but I think it'd be great for the Pats team itself.
I still think Julio would be a high target guy. He just wouldn't be getting those deep balls downfield quite as much. I think he'd be getting a more, um, honestly, what Mac Jones was doing last year, throwing guys into space a little bit more, I think is how they would try to use Julio. Um, and I don't know, like, I think I have a little more hope for him, but I, the Patriots being the Patriots, they are going to play slow. They are going to run enough. I, I agree with what you're saying overall. I just think that he, to me, would become like a, a 10 catch for 90 yards guy. And that sort of, you know, that has fantasy utility too. Last team on the list, the Niners. And this is one where I think there's been the most linking publicly by the media so far. Uh, people saying this would accelerate Trey Lance's development timeline would also, I guess, if he's not starting, uh, give Jimmy Garoppolo one more thing to not throw to ad- adequately at all. Uh, but for the most part, for the Niners, I guess the Kyle Shanahan thing makes sense. There's a lot of, I think, smoke signals you can kind of point to that would indicate this is a possibility, but like they don't need them. Like they have guys here. And I think Brandon Ayuk in particular, like he's a guy that outside, like Debo Samuel to me, more of a gimmick guy where you're going to do some handoffs, you're going to do some kind of cheap run play type stuff with him. But I do think with like Ayuk, I was really impressed by him in his rookie year as you know, being a potential wide receiver one guy. I think putting Julio in kind of would stunt that development. Yeah, I, I don't think they need to either. And I think, you know, on paper, if you include Kittle as a wide receiver, I mean, Kittle, Debo, and Ayuk is a great three, you know, wide receiver set there. I mean, obviously, Kittle moves mostly in line, but uh, yeah, I, I think the 49ers are set. I think what's mainly pushing this narrative is just the like reunion with Kyle Shanahan. And so people like that connection. But Again, the 49ers don't strike me as a team that would want to make a big splash in this regard. And I think they're probably content with what they have. All right. So pick one. Now we've talked about the ones that are the most viable. Uh, Give me your, your lead candidate and give me a dark horse. Yeah. I mean, my, my wish list for fantasy would be Julio to the chargers, but I think most realistic, just strictly on paper would be the Colts. I think the most realistic one is the Colts for me as well. The wish list one for me, and I guess that's not so much a wish list, but I do think it'd be kind of fun to be him on the Patriots. I think just him uh, playing the right way, doing that Patriot way thing. I think uh, people in New England would love him as long as he was there showing up every day and he'd be easily the best receiver they've had since Randy Moss. So um, I'd be intrigued to see what would happen in that spot, but I guess we'll have to keep our eyes and ears peeled and we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. But now is that time, Peter. Are you ready? Are you, are you ready? Are you emotionally ready? Are you content wise ready to talk about Playmakers episode two? Dude, I'm so excited. I was taking notes while I was watching the show and all my notes are just quotes. And I just like wrote LOL after every quote I wrote. (laughs) Some I have an LMA four O's after it, but I mean, just so many incredible moments in this one. So if you missed our our conversation last week, we started with episode one. We're going to go week by week here. Sometimes these will be long segments on the show. Sometimes they'll be a little shorter if we have other stuff to talk about. But this one, I think we both had a good amount of notes. The episode, episode two, The Piss Man. And it starts with, uh, I guess, sort of an ominous narrative here from our guy, our our lead running back, our star, younger running back, DH. Uh, First day of rookie camp, they tell you about The Piss Man. And it sounds menacing, but it just looks to me like a doctor offering DH some water while he's about to pee. And I feel like overall, uh, Pete, this was sort of setting up to be a very ominous opening to things. And I, I, I don't want to even get too deep in it, but it was just, it was really weird the way they presented the piss man as some sort of like candy man, horror movie type guy. Exactly. Right. Because the way, if you translate that quote, you know, on the first day they, they warn you about the piss man, they're saying on the first day, they warn you about drug testing. <laughs> if, like this isn't some like known deal. When you go to play the NFL, you're going to be drug tested. So like converting it to like a very specific boogeyman, as opposed to like a more general kind of just rule thing is just so funny. Um, and then they really play it up of making the, this guy actually seem like some villain who has the these ulterior motives outside of just keeping the leagues of the uh the the rules of the league intact 
The one thing too that I would say is like, I feel like there was probably a pathway for them to have made this funnier and lighter. And instead they went with the serious over the top, like, Ooh, the drama of it all. And, and I feel like for me, like I wouldn't have minded if this were like episode four and they just went a little sillier with DH's antics to get a healthy urine. And like, it just could have been fun. I think it said they made it like harrowing. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, right out of the gate, one of the lines when uh, he's getting stared down by the uh, the piss man guys and he's doing the narration, which uh, another side note, like these guys all doing like the VO narration for their own stories is like such a weird, I, I don't know, like movie making technique. It, it's jarring, like having the narrator switch back and forth anyways. But his line where he says, getting eyeballed by a guy you know wants to toss your salad. Like, he Harris immediately, this whole episode, thinks these guys with the catheter, with the piss man, are all just trying to jump his bones. And it's just such a crazy, like, you know the piss man wants to toss your salad. Like what? I honestly forgot, or I didn't put together the toss of the salad line with his other things. But yeah, he's really, like, he's really homophobic. I think that's the main oh, thing yeah. that comes out here. Probably one of the things that aged the least well that we could talk about when I'm giving out awards at the end of the show. Uh, but I do feel like this whole thing to me was just like every, and I kind of get it because everybody does want to fuck DH, like on the female side, it seems, because we see him again. He does the trope of him laying uh, existentially in a bed with a, a hot naked woman next to him but it's like he really just maybe he's just accustomed to like all oh, these women all want to sex to me so clearly the men must too <laughs> well it's it, same with like the catheter scene you think you know he's terrified that he's going to get busted and not playing but all of his fear manifests in homophobia <laughs> like that's his direct he's not like worried about getting busted he's just like i don't want to feel gay for a second it's like his whole thing but for some reason this just made me think and I, we don't need to dig too deep into the concept it made me think about gay beetlejuice and what that would look like <laughs> and I, I just think i think that's an amusing one and i think if they were to reboot beetlejuice in that way i i would be there on day one uh, getting a ticket um i would say the other part that jumped at me dh wearing the glasses when being briefed about the drug tests by the coach like if you're inside at your team meetings wearing sunglasses i feel like you should be the one they immediately test every single week yeah, and I, I love, you know, coming over there, the coach telling him, or was it, was there the scene too where the owner told him too that he wasn't going to be able to bail him out this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it just, I, I love that coming over to him too as if there's the implication that he could help, you know, sidestep the drug test for him or that, or almost that he had done that for him before. And like, this was the final straw. Like, nope, you're on your own this time, buddy. Yeah, it's. I guess the, the piss test certainly held in some degree of esteem in the community, which I guess is the one thing that they have going for them. I did feel like the piss test thing, and again, part of them making it more harrowing, more of a, a difficult journey, but like they checked his asshole for like any sort of like weird, like any extra supplement things or any uh, trickery. And then you also have to take off his do-rag. Like I, I get, you know, I, I kind of get that you have to be naked or whatever. That was odd to just have two men standing there staring at him and then the doctor there as well. I like that. Though I could sort of get, but like, I don't think you need to give him a cavity search when he's already peeing in front of you. I love the pacing of that too, where they're like, you know, take off your clothes and he's already like all disgruntled, like, man, this is fucked up. And then he gets down to his underwear and the guy's like the underwear too. And he's like, oh no, you didn't. <laughs> like, that he was just getting more and more disgusted. I kept also, I think it's because he kind of looks like Jordan Peele, like in a Key and Peele sketch that I just always imagine just like Jordan Peele, like, 
facial expressions in, in those moments. There was also, and this might be something if you're if you're rewatching the rewatch, his goatee was also, I think, offline where it's like a little bit to the side and it doesn't completely go on his chin in a way that I only noticed in that one scene of the piss man. So it kind of makes you think maybe he has fake facial hair for the show, which I, I don't know if that's something to, to observe moving forward. But uh, I would say too, the other part of this that uh, was kind of interesting was that, um, so so like we're, we're, we see the whole episode, right? We see this part at the end as well. And it's like the whole episode's a flashback, but at the end he's like, Oh, I wish like, I wish I could tell them that I tricked him and whatever. So why is he so anxious in the early part of the episode? Then like, it just seemed like a plot device that didn't fully make sense with the reveal at the end is that like, yeah, he knew this whole time that he had the catheter and it was going to be peeing clean, a uh, clean urine out there. That's another thing too, with the, that device where it was like half flashback, but then they've also used it too. When he is like, um, as a temptation device where they're like playing out like what they want to happen. And you can't tell like, is this a flashback? Is he just envisioning this happening? And then it's, it's very disorienting. And then they like snap back and you're like, Oh no, he was just, you know, imagining that uh, they're all over the place here from a filmmaking standpoint. Yeah. I, I appreciate what they're trying to do, but it seems like a little bit too much of everything else that was in vogue on TV at the time. Uh, but I guess we need to get to some of the other characters. We could talk about DH's nude body all day long, clearly as, as a doctor is good as well as every man who comes across him i would love to leon officially the worst teammate ever can't even pretend to be happy when the team wins because dh is playing over him and and i have to say as this show goes on i don't remember this the first time that i watched this obviously again when it first came out 18 years ago and a different different person at the time there's a lot of ways why i don't remember thinking leon was this much of a shithead the first time but boy he's a shithead in every possible way yeah he he is the uh and it's all like that he has his voiceover when he's like when he, when we win, he wins, but when he wins, I lose. <laughs> like it just like, he's incapable of thinking about it through any lens. And normally too, like, you know, deep down, like all these guys want to succeed, but most of them put on a face of, Hey, we won. And the normal talking point is, you know, all that matters is the team winning. That's all that matters. Most guys say that. And I love, he's just outright sulking in the corner of the locker room while everyone's hooting and hollering, uh, the ultimate poor sport there. Yeah, I get like his self-worth is tied to his role in the team and all that, but it's just definitely not not good for morale. And I, I get why they wouldn't want to give him any more carries and why we're doing a one-back backfield at this point. Um, we're also getting to spend a lot more time this episode with the QB McConnell, who's ripping pills in an ice path and uh, ice bath and says that it actually hurts him to listen. And the doctor is uh, initially shockingly not a fan of the QB popping pills. And I think is one of the things with the doctor where he seems to be sometimes a moral compass, but then at the end of the episode ends up not being quite that. And it's sort of hard to get a read on him, but I guess I'm glad to see that we're getting to spend time with the QB after he was like a total non-factor in episode one. Yeah, I was, uh, it's still, I still think the kicker drama got almost as much play as the quarterback one. I was like, we're, we're going to a kicker controversy before we've even really introduced the quarterback. And we still have yet to see a wide receiver. Have we had a wide receiver (laughs) or pass catcher at all spags? I keep waiting. I think the guy who was talking to Leon initially about the win and like and, and being excited while Leon was like being a downer, I think was a wide receiver, but that might just be me, me stereotyping, which is one thing we always advocate on the show. You can never stereotype people to be wide receivers. I, I, it'd be really funny if in the credits it was like, you know, everyone has the character names and that's just like some guy's name, wide receiver four. You know, they just don't even have a name. Like we didn't, we're not even bothering with it. Slot guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, the kicker part was up next and I thought it, w- it was interesting that the kicker 
kicker, I have to say, from the moment that he missed that kick, like he knew he was going to get cut and he ends up being right. And I also have to say, like, I remember there was the kicker in the movie, The Replacements. Uh, I think there have been kickers in other movies, but they're usually like comedy characters or guys who are just sort of there for one note jokes or whatever. I don't think there's been many where they're like they're the the dramatic heart of an episode or at least a a key part of it. And honestly, to me, he did look like a losing kicker if we're just going to be completely candid about it. I laughed out loud so hard when, so the coach is saying we played through some mistakes and then the camera just cuts to the kicker, just sitting <laughs> over there by himself. It was like strictly a visual gag and it, it killed me. And uh, I was also trying to figure out the in-game situation that the kicker was upset about um, where they called the running play, said they were 12 yards out. He wanted to come out on the field and immediately kick the field goal. My thought is normally that's a clock management issue, right? Like you run the ball, so then you kick the field goal with time running out so the team can't get it. But he was somehow so offended that he couldn't run out and kick the field goal right away on second down. See, I thought it was that on like fourth and one, they ran it instead of kicking it, even though they were in range because oh. he missed the 40 yarder earlier. I might be completely misunderstanding it too, but that was how I interpreted it. That would make way more sense. For some reason, I was like thinking of it as an in-game situation there at the very end where it was already over. Um but either way, uh, I love him being so salty uh, that he didn't get a yeah. chance to do one more kick after missing and, one. And also, if that is what they did, the way that I was interpreting it, like that was actually good analytics then, where like they went yeah. for it when you're not like, you know, normally a team than the old school football mindset would kick it. And this team said, no, we can go for it. We can run some more clock and then and then punch it in. And I don't know. I feel like the coach to me, really one of the worst characters, seems incompetent in a wide variety of ways, corrupt and even more. But I feel like if that's the play calling he made, like kudos to him for for making the right call this kicker's feelings they don't matter pete that's the main thing i mean if we do if we're trying to actually parse like what this offense is like from a pass run split just based on the storylines alone uh and the quarterback the only highlights we have are him being a statue in the pocket and getting sacked is that they are basically like army's offense and they run the ball like 70 times a game and try one play action pass when mcconnell gets sacked like that's what I tell their offenses. And it honestly changes the whole DH thing too, where he's talking about getting 147 <laughs> yards, but it's like, no, he's just getting 50 carries a game. <laughs> so you don't know what else to do. And they're terrified to have the QB throw the ball because they don't have any wide receivers on the team. So there's <laughs> a lot of issues structurally DH. Meanwhile, I guess, no, the Leon part is up next. Leon gets offered PEDs by a teammate who initially just kind of seems like a random guy wearing a black blazer and a black t-shirt in the locker room. And I have him written as a, a PEDSX machina for the PED plot is what he was but um ends up being a more important part by the end of the episode but i just feel like he was such initially like that stereotypical after school special guy offering drugs that it just didn't sit right with me it, that's this entire episode right like every scene is virtually someone offering someone else drugs like you know how normally in a show there's kind of like an a plot a b plot c plot no no no. this this show is everyone is doing drugs at all times of different forms and one guy is always giving someone else drugs that was mandatory for for 95% of the scenes in this episode. We also jump around a lot between the characters, but then we're back to DH going to a club, hooking up with a dancing girl who's just there to do work and still ends up hooking up with DH. So again, he just assumes people doing their jobs just want to fuck him everywhere he goes. And I, and this, I just think that with DH, he, he is such a, an inconsistent character where he ends up throwing out the crack that he was about to smoke and I guess like some sort of showing itself love. And then like in the next scene, he's smoking crack anyway. And, just, and DH is just, I get it's addiction. He calls it the grip 
grip or whatever, which I initially thought was what he was calling the crack itself. And he's just referring to his own uh, urges to do crack as the grip. But he is just me. The guy loves his crack. I got to say, and he shows up to work and gets the job done. So if that's what makes him happy, I feel like maybe legalizing crack could be a move. Yeah. And that was another one that was shot where when he was going into the club and I couldn't tell, is this him, um, you know, fascinating over hooking up with this girl? Is it a flashback? Is it a flash forward? It was another one of those very confusing uh, moments for me. Yeah, I think he just gets whatever he wants, which I guess is the main takeaway and more power to him, I suppose, though. Uh, that woman, I'd say not the most professional. I think for the most part, focus on your dancing. That's what I always do when I'm <laughs> when I'm working the club scene and football players are trying to get in my pants. McConnell getting ripped in the film room makes jokes about how long he held the ball to his teammates laughter. And the coach is mad because he held the ball for four seconds, which to me seemed like an unreasonable thing to be mad at for a variety of ways where the line, I guess, kept the pocket fairly clean and he should have gotten the ball out. Normally, you want to see guys getting the ball out, you know, around three seconds but if we're talking three to four seconds in one play and he's only taking 20 sacks a game like he's not quite a young David Carr out there getting abused over and over again it just felt felt very unfair to McConnell overall yeah okay so here's another thing I was very confused about this because they opened that up with the coach being like you like getting the shit kicked out of you right so like to me it wasn't like the coach was angry about him holding it because it was you know disrupting their offense it was like you're gonna get hurt you know, and you need to get the ball out so you don't get hurt. Like his concern was coming from there. And then the voiceover from McConnell later is goes, he goes, coach thinks you give us coach thinks you give a shit about seconds. Only thing you care about is survival. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's exactly why the coach is mad at you in the first place, because he wants you to survive. So I was like, I think you guys are actually on the same page here. And Rico out to you in the chat pointing out the seven step drop is going on here. So that is, yeah, it's a really big ask for a coach. And I guess, you know, for him, it's all about, he wants things to be done a certain way, no matter what the realistic outcome is. But yeah, I've, I've McConnell, I think out of all the characters in this episode, getting the most raw deal uh, really by just how he's being treated. Um, Leon always mean to his wife again. And that's, uh, <laughs> it's a tough time now. Again, Leon just really just a downer of a dude to be around. Uh, she's raising the kids. She's running his foundation. She's setting up the events <laughs> and then he's mad at her her and then she gets mad won't accept his apology that he immediately throws out there and the main takeaway for me is that leon's life is depressing and like i don't i don't recall this being the whole narrative of playmakers yeah it, and every time you think even he was in the uh the car driving with uh Olshik or whatever what's his name yeah Olshik. Olshik. yeah and like you know it seems like they're about to have like a tender moment you know smiling and then he like immediately gets depressed again <laughs> it just seems like everything in his life is falling apart despite it actually being pretty good yeah, he's uh, his foundation seemed like it was going well. Nice event going, but he could not even muster a smile, which is classic Leon for everybody out there. Olshik, very proud for his performance to a sports psychiatrist. And the sports psychiatrist did not take notes from the coach, immediately going back to going, hey, are you doing okay with your PTSDs and subscribing it or prescribing antidepressants to him? And I got to say, I respect the, the therapist for doing what he thinks is his job, but mixed messaging here because I thought last time he had just basically given up to the coach. So playmakers, sometimes are not, um, not the most consistent, I would say, with their character motivations no they're not and uh i thought it was it was a good lesson there too you know him saying you think i'm crazy because i need these uh antidepressants and the psychiatrist just saying calmly no i think you just need some help uh <laughs> yeah. very progressive honestly like his yeah. reaction wasn't though i guess it ends up getting better by the end as well but i, I do think them tackling mental health at all i'm gonna <laughs> give that a, a check mark here 
that's what I was going to say. Like, it was a surprisingly well done scene, uh, considering how they've handled all of these other issues. <laughs> kicker tryouts are up next, uh, <laughs> right in front of the current kicker's face. So getting kicker cucked is probably uh, the worst thing overall. And then I think there's still for these guys, like Olshik is like, hey, don't worry about it, man. Like, it's fine. He, he like, why is he not hired anyway? There's probably a reason. And I got to say, Olshik's positive attitude. He wasn't taking the antidepressants yet, but uh, listening to the kicker again. And, and the kicker, again, knows all here, getting just fucked right in front of his own face and, and still, uh, I feel like I I appreciate the optimism of the other guys. The funniest thing about that for me was thinking about how that unfolded in the writer's room because they're like, we have this kicker competition. And so then this guy is just like drilling kicks. And then someone was like, well, why would this kicker who's so good be available? So then someone had to write the line. Oh, he just missed the game winning kick <laughs> last week. It got cut. They're like, okay, now it makes sense why this guy would be drilling like 60 yarders at, at practice. Isn't that what happened though with like, I feel like it was Blair Walsh where he was so good for a while and then he missed like two games worth of game winning kicks. And they were just like, right, I guess we're done now. Like that's like, kickers do get treated poorly though. I feel like the show, like the show should have been all in on kickers or, or not. And so they just gave us this one kicker plot line. And I'm sure we'll never hear about a kicker the rest of the year. I'm pretty sure Blair Walsh had like five misses over like a, it was, it was pretty bad, but yeah, I mean, I guess it would take a pretty uh, stubborn coach to, to keep one for a long time after missing multiple kicks. Yeah. Coaches are, are known to trade the kickers in. So I guess, you know, the important thing here is that we gain sympathy for kickers. And that's really the main thing I always look for a DH angry as agent for not getting him out of the piss test. Uh, Leon is sad. He can't practice, but he's in awe of DH's greatness in a way uh, that seems to not be congruent <laughs> with the contactless walkthrough that they were doing. Um, and then uh, at the same time, like Leon's narrating and DH is narrating at the same time about the, the piss man get 147 yards last week. Piss man can't hold my jock. And I would say to DH, no, in fact, the doctor who's a professional who's taking the urine of people probably cannot compete with the professional athlete or running back. But there's lots of things here going on at once that I felt very, I don't know, just jarring. Yeah. Uh, also, the one really funny line when DH was talking to his agent that just killed me he goes, you're my agent. I don't pay you to tell me about some agreement with the league. <laughs> I'm like, that's like, honestly, exactly what you pay him for, like almost to the T. <laughs> Like, I, honestly, like, I forgot that I missed that line, but that's actually a very, very funny thing, which I'm sure they did not mean to be intentionally funny at all. No, and, uh, <laughs> that killed me. And then, yeah, the, uh, the contactless, uh, practice where he's just in awe in another, just, just horribly written voiceover, like where he goes, it's not about the moves themselves. It's about a way of movement. And then they show him gliding through guys wearing notepads. I was like, that is just such an awful line to try to convey like what a seamless runner he is. Yeah, I mean, he honestly, great run though, but it was legitimately a walkthrough. Like nobody's going full speed. They're all standing there. So kudos to DH though. I do think uh, for the most part, they would tell him to tone that down and just take it easy in the walkthroughs. And then uh, literally yelling at the end of his run, you can't touch me. And it was like, no, they literally can't. <laughs> Can't touch you. <laughs> they should have had him in like the red jersey too. So <laughs> just the guy who can't get hit, just acting like an asshole. Honestly, I'd support it. I, the troll game is strong with DH. Leon, after seeing that greatness hang in on, front of his eyes, okay. Hey, what what other thing from that scene too? So when the coach is yelling at McConnell, and then he has the backup come in, Phillips. But he says to Phillips, he goes, "Hey, Phillips, show McConnell how an offense is supposed to run." 
which like to me would sound like what you would tell the starting quarterback to tell the backup after like a bad series or whatever. But he's now just, it seems like maybe you should just go to the backup if he's the one that can show McConnell how to actually run the offense. That is know. a good point, given that he's so like dedicated to keeping McConnell on the field, but he's also like browbeating him over and over again. And I guess a lot of football coaches believe in negative reinforcement. I would certainly give my guys more support, pat him on the back, pat him on the tush, tell him, hey, good job out there, fella. You did great. But I do think that, yeah, like it's odd that he seems to think he needs McConnell so much while also thinking McConnell's a complete shithead in every single engagement that they have. Yeah. I don't know, Spad. You got to be careful saying you touch him on the tush. DH going to look at you and, and see a guy that just wants to toss his salad at all times. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You cannot pat DH's butt as part of showing him support. You can't Leon, touch now- me. <laughs> Leon now up to do PEDs because DH is so good. And the guy who I guess at this point, it comes a little more clear. He's a teammate. It seemed very easy to cheat the piss man process. And um, I, I get Leon doing it. I feel like Leon though, like a little too uh, later in the episode too, just like a little too trusting with this whole thing. Like you said it was a lock. It is actually, I thought about clipping that part too, just to be like, that's basically anybody who who's watching a DFS or a sports betting show. <laughs> it's like, you said it was a lock and it's like, no man, personal <laughs> accountability. You can't go trusting every guy offering you drugs yeah that uh it was that the guy that was like in the locker room on the the table the training table that tossed him the pills was that that guy i th- it might have been actually I, I didn't connect that but that might have been he just the guy just supports drugs all around <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, uh let's see dh back smoking crack in that bathroom uh, talking about the grip uh friends tell dh they had a friend who passed a drug test with unconventional methods and then they do introduce him to the doctor and then the quote here which i'm going to blur out because we are not going to do the whole one but doc must be some kind of very strong gaysler to thinking he'd let a guy do that that the that in this quote being inserting a catheter inside of himself to give dh clean urine arguably the least gay dick related activity is what i wrote down but this doctor is a complete pro and dh again fixated on him touching his penis during the actual process is upset at him rubbing a numbing agent on it and i have to say dh for a guy who is willing to go to these lengths we could learn a little bit here go google webmd for catheters and just learn about the process that that line that you uh rightfully just censored uh was one of the most of the things I've ever heard, because again, the implication is like, he is calling him a doctor is that he went through all of this medical medical school training, you know, then was a specialist all in this field, all as a way to like Trojan horse, his homosexual <laughs> urges, like via patient. Like he's like, why else would this guy have a catheter that he wants to put in my penis? Like it just like the logic is just is insane. It's also like it's even crazier because like he's going out of his way to solicit this guy who's doing this under yeah. the table business for himself. And it's like you can't be the one where it's not like it's a doctor who came up. It's not even like you know, Leon with the PED guy, where like if you had that equivalent of a doctor coming up, be like, Hey man, I hear you need some clean piss. Let me touch your penis and get some <laughs> like like I get that, but you can't go into the guy's office with the being set up by your friends and the proofing of having had this work before and then still be like i don't know about this guy i feel like he's just this is all a long con to get me to have sex with him <laughs> it's so good and then i i think this might be jumping ahead but uh, on point when he um he's going in and then he wants he asks the doctor uh if he ha- if there's a nurse or his girlfriend can do it instead <laughs> 
Like, is there a subculture of guys who only go to female doctors for these things just because they want, like, I feel like for me, and I, I don't know, actually, because I, I have not, admittedly, have not gotten anything uh, checked up recently enough since I've been out in LA. So that, that's on me. That's something we should all do here and keep our health paramount while watching Playmakers. But I do think, like, I wouldn't care about the gender, but I feel like if anything, like, maybe there's some sort of like, oh, it's less weird to have a female doctor touching your genitals and examining them. And I don't know which way that would go, Pete. I don't know if you have <laughs> anything you want to chime in here, if you're pro DH on the stance or not. No, yeah, I've had I've had both uh, male and female doctors yeah. for uh, my physicals, and I I never have given it uh, that much uh, thought, uh, especially because it it's just such a, a sterile environment. Like I can't yeah. even think of my brain going to like sexualize that. But DH's brain, man, did it go there quickly. It also in that scene when he's getting the catheter ready and putting on the lube, they shot that in the most intentionally phallic way possible. He's like slowly going up and down the shaft of the catheter with the lube. I'm like, this is too much. Yeah, any catheter scenes in general, I feel like gonna stir up some emotions for everybody out there. But yeah, I mean, I would say the main thing for DH is just trusting medical professionals. It wasn't like he was walking in like like Pete's saying, a very sterile, very clean environment. The doctor like a like like a professional. He wasn't just a, some guy wearing a doctor Halloween outfit. And it wasn't like DH is walking to a candlelit room. Like he wasn't walking into a massage room. So I feel like DH keeping a op more open mind towards medical professionals might be helpful for him. Um, he's also as part of this process soliciting the offensive lineman friend for clean urine here and i feel like dh so like the offensive lineman i don't know what his sanctimonious given the check back for the fine thing was but the main thing to me dh uh not a great dude i think we've seen but also not a good friend is really <laughs> the main thing he's a great athlete though great running back all that especially good in, in walkthroughs and all that but uh just this lineman he really fucking abuses his friendship <laughs> I know. And it's another, we, we, we talked about how last week we all thought that it was like one of his boys, like part of his entourage, because like he's having him do all this grunt work for him, admin stuff. And this just further continues it. Like this is a line on the team that you're just like bullying. Like he's a guy in your entourage or a rookie that you're like hazing and have him do these like little errands for you. He acted like he was in trouble. Like, fine, here's your, here's your bag. Yes. Which also, by the way, they tried to make it seem like it was conspicuous, you know, like it was some drop. It's like an ambiguous brown paper bag in the locker room that he like sets and walks by. It just leaves there. I'm like, this is the least discreet thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I think it was it was either a bottle of beer or like a Snapple bottle, but it, I, I guess maybe there's like, oh, DH likes drinking some urine colored <laughs> beverage. I, was, I don't know, but definitely a good teammate, but uh, maybe too good of a teammate. I don't know. Olshik visiting the <laughs> this is this is something. Olshik visits his paralyzed player guy. The kid is there. Oh my god! And the kid, he's the Olshik just being a nice guy, smiling, asking the kid about his football career, and then the kid uh, talking about uh, his burgeoning interest in football says, "Coach says only a dirty player leads." to this helmet which we i thought was not the case from olshik's tackle and i guess we could talk about the next part but pete do you have any thoughts on the child before we get to the stunning reveal here that they completely retcon from episode one i just i love how they shot it you know you see the kid right there like he's literally standing next to his dad who's like comatose basically and he just has the most angry look on his face and you know he's trying to like butter him up have this conversation and it's just like waiting for whatever the line is going to be of like i'm not having your bullshit olshik and um and yes this was like a mind-blowing thing to me because we talked about it last week like this looked like a form-fitting tackle but this was like the biggest plot twist we've had 
And that now when we Zapruder it and zoom in, he was actually leading with his helmet. Like, I mean, what the hell's going on now? Yeah, I didn't get that. I don't know how that how you could possibly miss that. Clearly for Olshik, he cared a lot about uh, this whole thing. Had rewatched the, the hit before, had like had seen it, was replaying it in his mind over and over again as well. I guess maybe that is the thing. Maybe there's some sort of sixth sense part to it that we've only been seeing the play through his mind. And then this time we're seeing it on video, I guess, is the one sort of, uh, you know, deniability point you could say that keep the plot logical but given the fact that it's playmakers i think they just decided like i appreciate the fact that they addressed it because that was something that really bothered us last week we're talking about episode one that the hit looked like a clean hit and then they do the replay of it but it just seemed like an entirely different hit like i don't know i, I feel like they just went in a different direction for it somehow or just felt like that first episode they just knew like oh yeah this is such clearly a clean hit we can't leave it like that so i guess a good move overall but just odd relative to the, the narrative structure it was also very odd too, because the whole thing is that Olshik thinks about this stuff all the time, yeah. nonstop. And it was not until he talked to the kid that he then went and watched it so closely and had this epiphany. It's like, no, clearly he would have watched the tape millions of times if he's playing it over in his head over and over. But I just like, he's like, nope, the kid was right. I couldn't even tell him the truth because he was right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a wild scene. And I, I guess like I think maybe it could just be one of those unreliable narrator things. Like that's the only thing I can cling to with this all. But um, I, I feel like that's maybe the um, maybe that is what they were going for here. But either way, not clear enough. And it feel, felt like a clean hit last episode. But um, they did address the Leon being at the foundation benefit um, has the anxiety of, of a man who's sweating his piss testing. And the wife is mad. We talked about this wife's also mad that a Samantha called the house. So I guess the broadcaster lady and allegedly Leon sent her his broadcasting tape and then the wife boy she is all about the integrity of sports she says you cheated and then he <laughs> replies but it's legal in baseball and I was baffled by the <laughs> wife <laughs> baffled by her distaste for him cheating like if my significant other were going to cheat and they were pro athlete I'd be like this isn't a good one like here's what I'd be worried about but she's like worried about like she would be very mad at Barry Bonds I'd say the, I mean, the, the, it's legal in baseball is funny on so many levels. Um, as if that argument, like if it's one thing, like if you're arguing to like someone in the NFL or something about it, because you're like, Hey, in other sports, you know, it's legal, but to his wife, it's just a morality issue. She doesn't give a shit what sport you're playing. If it's illegal by that sport, that's why she's upset. So his defense of it's legal in baseball, that is not going to convince her. Uh, that just absolutely killed me. Uh, I, that 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 was probably the line I laughed at the hardest. And then I have this quote from here too. I stood up there today and told everyone what a great man you are. I never thought that would be a lie, which I thought <laughs> was a dramatic response to your husband's existential crisis over his pro athlete career. I feel like if you love the man, you'd be maybe a little more understanding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least tell her that like, hey, everyone in the NFL is doing it. Everyone's dodging these drug tests. This is how everyone can sustain all of the injuries. The physicality is with drug use. I'm just keeping up with the Joneses. And you go, well, it's legal in baseball. <laughs> It's just, I mean, Grant, yeah, he didn't handle it the best, but also I feel like he's probably thrown, like taken aback by her just being like, sir, like I, I will never say you DH is clean. And I, I love, I support him as my running back for the team. I don't know his wife. I just feel like maybe we get why he's been such a dick because she also might be a dick in her own right. Coach won't put the QB on the inactive list, despite the doctor's concern that McConnell taking anti-inflammatories and might have a, a serious kidney disorder. And then he compares it to the real life kidney issues for guys like Alonzo Mourning 
morning and Sean Elliott. And then the coach insists, insists that he's going to play while also ignoring his own health issues. And I just feel like overall, these guys, you have a doctor there for a reason. I don't know. I, a coach being, as we talked about, being so unwilling to be nice to his quarterback, trashing him at every turn, then won't let him sit. It's classic possessive behavior by the coach. Yeah, I will say of the other scenes that rung true, I did actually like the scene with the doctor talking to McConnell. And Mm. there was actually some subtlety to it of him figuring out like what had happened behind the scenes without the doctor having to explicitly say that. So I just got to give some credit where credit is due. I thought that scene was well written. Yeah, I agree. I think McConnell figuring it out, like to me, I think that's something that maybe other shows might have made that draw out longer or just had him think like, oh, this doctor is a real dick. And and I think the doctor, too, was still sort of selling his ethics short, but was, was doing it in a way where it was pretty clear what it was. And then I thought the line, too, about um about how uh, what is it? McConnell says he wants to keep the horses on the track, which is such a downer a way to look at it. But like. I mean, it's tough. Like, I think McConnell, in some respects, I, Leon seemed like the most relatable guy last episode. I thought was cruising towards that. I think now, like, McConnell, in some ways, he's the guy that I kind of felt the most bad for because, like, he knows what he's getting put through. He sort of is putting himself through it as well. But, like, he knows there's no other alternative. And it just felt like he was trapped in a way that made me kind of sad. Yeah, and also this is a good point. Like they have to do some kind of character development on the field to make us care about him needing to be the starting quarterback. Like just show us one bomb he completes, some feat of athleticism, a bootleg run where he makes a guy miss and we're like, oh yeah, he's a key part. We have yet to see anything about why he actually needs to be on the field. <laughs> yeah, he's at best like seeming like a Brad Johnson type for any for any throwback references to that time frame or maybe even um, a Trent Dilford type for that time frame. But I hope that he has something to offer here i hope that he does get some quality run um let's see dh overcome by addition one thing i think we we uh or maybe i might have my order out but the kicker getting cut did we have that oh yeah i think uh, i might have just breezed by yeah so the kicker getting cut go ahead take it from here yeah no it was i mean the funniest thing to me about the kicker getting cut was just the whole storyline about he was going to be one of the two that had to go see the piss man and i just love the implication of the the smallest guy on the roster who's just getting cut is the one who was going to get the test and then everyone's like oh shit if it was supposed to be the kicker it could be me next (laughs) i did appreciate that little wrinkle to the drama like i thought that was a creative way to get there with the concept and the kicker being cut like i mean playmakers i think we've made clear you know there's a lot of flaws with the storytelling but i did think that was one way to kind of tie the narrative threads all together in a way that i have to say like a pretty good sleight of hand by playmakers overall (laughs) yeah the uh the poor kicker too and the, the line too where he's just like well, see you around. <laughs> like, yeah. After yeah. being in the locker room was uh, was pretty good. It is it is sad for the kickers out there. Really, the one thing, hug a kicker if you know him today. That's the main thing I would push here. DH overcome by addiction after his piss test. Feels like he should have been fighting that instead. But it's basically, he's like, oh, well, I guess he beat the piss test. Doesn't have to fight his addiction yet. And um, DH, I'm sure we'll have a reckoning at some point of the season with his crack addiction. But, but right now, I feel like he's mostly just really coming out clean as a rose. Yeah, he's enjoying the the superstar treatment in the NFL. You got people helping you out, circumvent the law. Um, you know, when when no one can touch you during those walkthrough practices, kind of the <laughs> world is your oyster. And to his credit, he's working hard for his own dodging of the laws as well. He's soliciting urine from people. He's finding creative solutions. He's dealing with his own homophobia. I feel like there's a lot of things DH is doing to his credit that is uh, deserves him that. And then the offensive lineman guy pays the money back. We have Olshik deciding to try it. He may try the antidepressants while McConnell keeps taking his anti-inflammatories and uh, drugs. It does seem not the best. And at the end of the episode, the PED teammate is getting tested instead of Leon. And we do see the 
empty locker room. And Leon also brings his wife, the apology flowers who remains like, I think when you bring flowers and Pete, you've been married. So I feel like I, you might, you know, I've been married, like you're a divorcee now and you've, <laughs> you've gone around, you continue to be married successfully, I hope. And, um, you bring somebody flowers. I feel like when you bring the flowers, that normally is like the end of the fight. Like that's sort of like the, to me at least, like that's the, okay, cool. Like we, we accept there's some blame going around here, but his wife just still continues to be a dick in a way that I feel like I, I didn't appreciate. Yeah. I think you could also argue that maybe like the level of this fight might need more than just flowers. You know, that's kind of just a quick get out of jail free card. I mean, maybe need to plan more of a night, uh, maybe a more thoughtful, heartfelt apology. I, I maybe it just didn't pass her, uh, her bullshit test. I guess when you are violating the integrity of the game as Leon is, that is going to be the case. Let's run through some awards here at the end of the episode. Um, who has the most fantasy upside in the episode? I feel like we didn't see very much in the way of football, but um, I feel like this new kicker is really coming in strong. So he's the one I would get if you're in a kicker league. Yeah, I mean, obviously Harris continues to be the only guy who seems to break off explosive plays. Um, also another uh, IDP, the guy who got the game ball, one of the offensive linemen, the coach earlier saying the best downfield block I've seen all year. Uh, so yeah, in an IDP league, I definitely like that guy. I do like that would be... That would offensive lineman. So that's not even IDP league. He, I can't get fantasy points from him whatsoever. <laughs> I do like though, that like there's all these great plays going on and we never see a single one of them. <laughs> there's not a minute of football occurring besides DH running great in practice. Uh, most unrealistic moment of the episode. I I'm not sure what direction to go with this one, but it's all to you first beat. I mean, it's, it's definitely the, catheter scene in him asking uh if a nurse or the girlfriend can do it and then like the look on his face as he's rubbing the the um the numbing agent on his penis and he's just like, oh please don't enjoy this <laughs> i would say them checking his asshole for things while doing the piss <laughs> test i just don't think that's pot i don't think that happens um <laughs> the next award that i have on the list is asshole of the episodes i think that has to go to dh just given what we yeah. i mean a very a very literal award to dh did it this week. Uh, moment that would make the NFL most mad. Um, I think the homophobia would be it, but boy, there's a lot to go with the, the, the coach ignoring the doctor's uh, concern for a player's kidneys probably there to you. There's a lot to choose from. Yeah. I mean, the, I assume this episode was just the one too, that really propelled this show to getting canceled. And I, I mean it for the NFL, it is like all the drug use stuff. Like, and I would specifically probably the crack. Like, I think that's probably still like the biggest boogeyman to like Mr. Goodell and other suits in the NFL is like, please don't show our players doing crack. Yeah, I, though I do think at the same time, positive PR for crack addiction, if nothing else. So you got to <laughs> keep that in mind. Cool bro moment of the episode. Who was, I'm trying to think the most bro-y thing that occurred. I, I guess the, the offensive lineman giving his P and returning the check, even though I, he's doing that more for his own moral higher ground. But he came through and DH needed a DH did not have any other P options as a fallback, which is really the one flaw in his plan. So I feel like uh, the offensive lineman, once again, the bro of the episode. There was also a moment in the film room when the coach was getting mad at McConnell uh, there, but McConnell was like cracking jokes and like elbowing guys and laughing uh, he, to where he wasn't taking it seriously whatsoever. Uh, and I, those guys all too just look like they were like from central casting of the OC or any like, you know, saved by the bell with their like frosted tips and all of that stuff. So they get the cool bro moment for me teammate bonding of the episode uh, sharing peds has to be it didn't work out at the end but i feel like they had some nice moments in between so i feel like that's that's my teammate bonding 
Yeah, or sharing piss, you know, dropping the piss <laughs> off. I mean, that's that's the ultimate bonding experience. I mean, DH and the offensive lineman can't win everything. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go to the PED sharing best actor award. Now, now this is one, this is a category that gets tough. Uh you, I'll let you go first. Yeah, I'll double down. I'll say the the coach on the practice scene with McConnell, uh kind of trying to tell him uh about what was actually happening without explicitly saying it. Oh, you mean the doctor? The doctor, sorry, yeah. yeah. I'll go to McConnell for that scene too. So they could both get an award for that one. I feel like that was the best scene. I feel like McConnell figuring it out, not being a dumbass, I think was a positive in a way that uh, these shows normally don't do. So they get my best actors award, a uh, worst actor award. Um, I think it has to be Leon's wife. I just didn't find it believable that she would be so caught up in the integrity of the game. There's so many good options for this. I'm, I'm going to say the kid, the, the coma. <laughs> like, <laughs> and also one other thing about that scene I assume it's like supposed to be his sister or his mom, but just sitting like blurred out in the background in that chair and just like doesn't say anything while the kid just like stares him down and has this conversation. I thought maybe she was asleep was what they were doing. And this other kid just hanging out like awake with his sleeping, uh, sleeping mother and then a half dead father. So, yeah, I don't know. But tough scene for him. So I guess you could get why he'd be so frazzled um, in that moment. Scene that wouldn't be on TV today. I think DH's homophobia would not make the cut, even if that was a character trait. I feel like they would just they'd go like, yeah, we don't need to have him dropping F-bombs on the show. I was going to say that line, um, that scene wouldn't make it on that line specifically. I, I just think they would. Like now you would maybe get away with like making one like slight homophobic joke about it, but like they hammered it like four times over and over and over. Yeah. Did a TH not, not the most open-minded NFL, the scene that would make the NFL the most happy. So I guess I should probably pair this with the other one, but the one that would make the NFL the most happy, I think is probably going to be just uh old chick having the antidepressants and being like, yeah, like it's looking at like, like they go like you're like they're gonna show all the positive moments from the episode and it would just be a 15 second clip of him looking at the antidepressants and going, Yeah, I'm gonna take the step for my mental health. Yeah, I can't imagine the NFL just liking any of this. Um, yeah, I, I think that scene it probably even that would probably make them uncomfortable. Like, we don't wanna think that our players are having to even take antidepressants because of their trauma from playing football. Um, maybe. Maybe uh, Leon's foundation, you know, these guys actually getting out in the community and giving back. The NFL would be very proud of that. That's true. Yeah, just ignore everything else besides that. And then the last award, the most important one, the playmaker of the episode. And I feel like the temptation every week is going to be to give it to DH because he's just doing a lot of stuff. He's out there. He's banging girls. He's getting pissed. He's getting uh, being homophobic, getting a lot going on, smoking crack. Just he really packs a lot in there. But I'm going to give it to Leon here, and here's why. The most elusive move of the episode is him not getting caught by the piss man. So I will say for him, showing some signs of life. Also, the bench press, which we didn't talk about. What, 44 bench presses on 250 pounds or something? Like, that was that was some legit muscle here. So Leon, not getting it done on the field yet. But in terms of how I'm viewing this award, he's my playmaker of the episode. Yeah, I'm going to go with the new kicker. I mean, this poor guy, he he gets cut in a traumatic situation. He's trying to find a new job, comes into a new environment. You got the new kicker staring you down and just absolutely drilling these field goals from what appeared to be 50, 55 yards out. So yeah, he's my playmaker of the episode. So I guess we'll get that kicker. Oh yeah, in here. Worm and I on the same page with that one. I'll say there you go. So people know the kick. Look, the kicker to me, fantasy player for sure. But I, I feel like, you know, he's, there's a lot of things going for him. I think it's hard to argue. I hope he's a prominent cack. It would be funny if the show just immediately went to the life of this kicker and every episode was about him getting into his misadventures. And then we just barely see DH and Leon only when they're greeting the kicker moving forward. Yeah, uh, that would be incredible. 
All right. So let's let's give our final plugs. Pete, what's going on with your show schedule? People could follow you at Peter Overzet, but tell people where else they should be looking for you next. Uh, yeah, I'm doing another. Last week I did my first uh, chess lesson. I streamed that on Saturday, and we're doing another one here in a couple hours at four uh, on my channel. And people were massively tilted, Spags, because I'm so bad at chess, um, and they were apparently just screaming at their computers while I, uh, you know, just was awful at it. So if you if you enjoyed that experience, stay tuned for four p.m. Did you watch Queen's Gambit? Yes. Okay, so okay, so you didn't even you didn't pick up anything from that experience either. <laughs> no, I mean I I love the show. I mean it's not like you're learning how to. I mean they're doing like the most advanced you Sicilian defense. You learn like the move pawns of the. I did. Though. He told me I accidentally did a Sicilian defense uh, without even knowing it last week. So um, yeah, I'm I'm learning chess. I'm trying to. I, I appreciate that. Uh, you can just follow me at Chris Bax. Make sure to follow at Splash Play Pod as well. We're following back everybody on there. Give that podcast five stars and a review on Apple Podcasts. That one in particular, if you guys could throw us anything here, if you got a laugh out of the show, just help us out. Five stars and a review on there. I'll be back with you guys again next week. So uh, catch you guys then. Sounds good. We'll talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.